Welcome to Retail Therapy, a Rethink Retail exclusive podcast series where we examine a retailer facing a huge challenge and provide actionable steps to revive, revitalize, or rebrand them back from oblivion. This week, we'll be looking at a retailer who gained notoriety over 30 years as the go-to destination for party favors and goods. In fact, they became the world's largest designer, manufacturer, and distributor of party goods. But on January 17, 2023, the retailer filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy and its stock was delisted. Come for the balloons, stay for the retail insights. This week, we'll be taking a look at Party City. Checking in for today's session are this week's retail therapists, Deanne Campbell and Brandon Rail. Deanne is a retail strategist with deep expertise in aligning retail technology with customer and employee experience. She specializes in helping companies with go-to-market and growth strategies, brand positioning, M&A, and partnership and ecosystem strategies. Brandon is a trusted advisor with significant strategy, operational improvement, digital technology, and organizational change experience across the retail, wholesale, and consumer industries. He currently serves as a business transformation leader at Capgemini Invent. Brandon partners with Fortune 100 firms to drive growth, unlock value for customers and associates for the sustainable future. Deanne, Brandon, thanks for joining today. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. Pleasure to be here as always. Thank you, Gabrielle. Absolutely. And it's great to have you both here with me today. And before we kick off today's discussion, let's first take a look at our patient's history. Party City opened in 1986 when founder Stephen Mandel opened their first store in East Hanover, New Jersey. By 1990, it would franchise. And in 1994, Party City would see the first company-owned store prior to the company going public in 1996. In 2005, the company would be sold to a subsidiary of AAH Holding Corporation, which owned Amscam. This would precede the 2006 acquisition of Party America, and then the acquisition of Factory Card and Party Outlet in 2007. In 2009, the company would launch their e-commerce business with PartyCity.com. In 2011, their acquisition of Canadian retailer Party Packagers would make Party City the largest party supplies manufacturer in North America. In 2018, Party City announced the opening of 50 Toy City pop-up stores, in addition to Halloween City seasonal stores, all meant to capitalize on the closure of Toys R Us. By 2019, a Forbes analysis noted the business to be doing well enough financially, with a revenue of about $2.35 billion. By May 2019, Party City would announce the closure of 45 locations, purportedly to optimize performance in the market. As of September 30, 2022, Party City had about $1.6 billion in debt and a liquidity of just $122 million. Come November, Party City announced it would reduce its corporate workforce by 19% as it became apparent that 2022's losses were approaching 200 million. By January 17, 2023 of this year, Party City filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. At the Chapter 11 filing, the company would report $1 billion in assets and $10 billion in liabilities. And by January 18th, 2023, Party City trading stock was 
delisted. One might argue that Party City could have done more to adjust quickly to the challenges of the pandemic era. There's way much more to get into this story. Brandon, Deanne, let's get into it. I'd love to hear from the both of you. What's your take on the current perception of Party City? How did we get here? I, I think it started years ago. This, this, is a, this is a classic case of private equity driving a company into debt to some extent, core inventory management practices, and, and, and rigidity in their pricing model because of that private equity ownership and really kind of being backed into a corner without a lot of options, without the ability to innovate or keep up with the market. And now here they are uh, 15 years later, stuck with a huge debt load that they can't pay off. And it's starting to compromise their, their supplier relationships even and ability to get product into the store. So they're party cities that are forced to be reckoned with. There are still more than 800 stores. They did uh, over $2 billion in sales back in 2019. I think uh, there was an acceleration to digital and the, and the changing consumer behaviors, especially accelerated at a time frame where the pandemic kept everyone at home and then the physical stores suffered for Party City. I would definitely agree with Deanne that these, these troubles and challenges occur well before the pandemic. The pan pandemic only accelerated their, the downswing of business. And I think this is a, in line with the narrative we've seen with all the category killers out there. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one that comes to mind is Beth Vian, who has has uh, gone through similar challenges in the home goods space and they're especially retailer. But again, like Party City, they're facing significant challenges and from competitors like Walmart and Target and Amazon, who have now have their own presence within the, the party and costume categories. And that really has impacted the whole Party City experience and, the, and really the, the purpose of the brand in 2023 and moving forward. I think this is a case of a company that really should not have gone public when they did. And I know at the time, I think it was in the, the late 90s, uh, 1996, somewhere around there, that they went public. And it was not the right time for them. They did not have control of their inventory. And in fact, their first financial report to Wall Street was delayed by six months, which is a huge red flag for Wall Street. And so right from the starting gate, they were under the gun. They were behind the, the, the wire a little bit, trying to, to struggle to get their, their numbers right, get their operations right. And then if you look at their acquisitions, so originally they were purchased by the Berkshire Group, and private equity investment group. And at the time that Berkshire started to think about selling the company, we'll go back to 2011, the total debt at Party City was less than a billion dollars. And the interest that they paid on that debt was about $77 million. They were still making money. They could easily service their debt, still make a profit. They were, they were ticking along. One year later, just, just a single year later, a company was purchased, sold off to Thomas Lee Partners, a different private equity company. Within 12 months, the interest expense had gone up to $102 million, which completely wiped out the company's operating profit. And then some. And one of the very first actions that Thomas Lee did as the new private equity owner was to have Party City borrow $300 million to pay out a dividend to their investors, to themselves, which 
is not an uncommon practice for PE, especially back in the day. You see companies like like Sears and J.C. Penney's falling uh, under the same issue. But this this is really the roots of the debt issue, the debt problem that is plaguing part, party city today. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is, you know, kind of overview is poor inventory. Deanne, you said the rigidity in pricing due to these private equity issues and them being stuck with just an immense amount of debt. I also want to kind of talk about just the overall experience. And, you know, the experience isn't good, either the in-store experience or, you know, we'll get to it a little bit, but the online experience is extremely clunky at best, I would say. The UX is just terrible. But, you know, I actually went to a party city for the first time and I don't even remember the last time I was in a party city before, but it was last month actually to buy Super Mario themed party supplies for my five-year-old son's birthday. And we could only really find a few items. And then for other items like just standard napkins and plates, I ended up just going to the Dollar Tree for that, which is, I mean, honestly, when you talk about the in-store experience, it's basically on par with a party city. Like didn't feel any difference between the two experiences, like Party City just really feels like a discount store without the discount, really. Um, <laughs> so I'd like to kind of get your guys' take on on that physical experience. Have either of you been inside a Party City in the last, I don't know, five years? I have. I do have two kids, uh, 12 and 10. So we've uh, had our share of Halloween experiences and they needed to go to Party City just because of at the time, there was not many other competitors, i.e. a Target, that had products we're looking for. Mm-hmm. I would say the uh, the experience was very subpar. Inventory management continued to be an issue. There was a lack of service or, or overall experience within the stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, the merchandising and, and category planning and, and the space and floor planning left a lot uh, to, to be desired for. And just the overall experience, uh, there were a couple occasions we left without buying the products, had to go elsewhere. or Ultimately, you go online via Amazon or Walmart to find the products we're looking for. But again, uh, the purpose of going to a, a store is to have an experience and make new memories of your family. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only memories I made was perhaps when I come back to the store room again because we're just very disappointed. So very consistent with your experiences and what we've heard in the, throughout the industry uh, takes uh, mm-hmm. on where Party City is today. Yeah, I too uh, was in a Party City last year. I like to decorate and go big. Mm-hmm. for Halloween in my house. And I really was looking for something unique, something interesting and something of scale. I wanted to go big. And Party City's selection was was very, very similar to what I saw in Walmart mm-hmm. and Target and, and other stores. And I ended up purchasing online because then I could find the eight-foot spiders that I eventually fell in love with. <laughs> and uh, so I find that their product range is not very innovative there. Uh, and, and I, I understand that a big part of that is because they are the, the primary manufacturer and wholesaler behind the entire industry. So they are selling their products to Walmart as a wholesaler, to Target, to dollar stores. Mm-hmm. And so their stores end up with much of the same product that you see everywhere else. And that private equity ownership, again, has pushed the company over the years to optimize their their product selection to fit within 
that that manufacturing stream so that they they don't have separate manufacturing streams for their retail their own retail biz- business versus their wholesale business and i think ultimately that's limited their ability to get creative to to get unique like spirit halloween has have had the freedom to do mm-hmm. uh, that's a great point there i think a lot of the Consumers aren't aware of the fact that they actually manufacture and distribute party goods to over 40,000 retail stores worldwide. That includes mass merchants, grocery, dollar stores, and others, and even their direct competitors. So they are actually a force to reckon with on the manufacturing wholesale side. And that, that is possibly a, a pivot to the business model moving forward to focus and invest more on that part where the retail and the cons- consumer facing experience has to be modified significantly to move forward profitably and with the brand equity they need to attract new consumers. Hey, retail therapy listeners, I've got a question for you. Can you really balance profitability and purpose in retail right now? A new IDC snapshot brought to you by Avanade says yes. Explore the study and learn more about how to be cost conscious with a conscious in a challenging retail environment like today. Head to avanad.com slash retail to learn more. That's A-V-A-N-A-D-E dot com slash retail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so those unique seasonal products, those costumes, they're not really getting people into the stores anymore, you're saying, because those items can be basically found everywhere else, like the same exact items. But, okay, so do you guys know what the main driver of of people into Party City stores actually is? Like, what's actually getting people to walk through the doors? Social media. Balloons. (laughs) Balloons. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, so it's entirely dependent on balloon sales. Like, those big Mylar balloons, they they make up a significant part of the business. And I think it's like 92 million um, is made from its balloon distribution channel. But yeah, as Brandon, as you just mentioned, there's a huge shortage of helium. You know, helium's a natural gas and there's been a huge shortage of it. Um, it's also used for, you know, in the medical field. And, um, you know, you can't buy those helium balloon on Amazon and Target. So, you know, people were coming into Party City to get those. That's what, you know, people were coming in for. And then they would shop for other items for their parties. But before the pandemic, a full tank of helium cost uh, a little under 200. Now it's close to 350. And so without those balloons, what are people coming into the stores for? Right. That helium shortage has caused the retailer to take a $20 million hit uh, in extra expenses. And, And on a $92 million revenue stream, that is significant. I, I think that it's going to get a little bit better. I know the um, U.S. Land Management Bureau has recently reopened their crude helium enrichment plant, which mm-hmm. should ease that a little bit. But it is a finite product. There's only so much of it to go around. And so this is a, this is a long-term issue that is going to have to result in, a, in a, an innovation change in, in how balloons are mm-hmm. used for entertainment instead yeah. of helium, something else. Yeah, because I, I think helium's the only gas that will make items float that, that is safe to use that won't light on fire. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it does light on fire, but uh, not, not to the extent that... A little less risky. Yeah. 
So, you know, we mentioned it before, and that is Amazon, Target, the rise of Omnichannel, and and that, uh, you know, Party City really just doesn't have much of a digital presence. Can I get your guys' take on its its current, you know, user experience and kind of what you guys are seeing as, as what some of those, you know, big pain points are for Party City? I think from a user experience perspective, uh, the brand equity is taking a significant hit especially amongst the millennials, Gen Z, uh, they, they are lack of online presence, lack of social media presence or influencers has a direct impact on what, what the purpose is of the store and what the reason is to engage with the brand. Uh, and then instead of growing their digital business, as Deanne mentioned, they probably kept burning cash and investing in physical locations. And now they're, mm-hmm. they're inflated to the point where they have 800 stores across the country, most of which are inefficient with uh, supply chain disruptions, helium challenges, and are simply unprofitable. So the digital business obviously should have uh, accelerated well over 10 years ago. And now they're, they're playing catch up in a world that's changed and the consumer behaviors have, have, have modified significantly over the last three or four years, and especially due to the pandemic, where you need a fluid, seamless, digital, physical experience, i.e. omnichannel where you can engage with the brand on your terms and have the convenience and, and the scalability to meet the consumer demands. And Party City is simply not there now from a digital perspective. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Brandon. I, I know that um, if, if you take a look at the customer journey even, how do you shop? How do you gain inspiration for party ideas? Most people aren't um, born with uh, with natural knowledge of how to plan a party. So they their first reaction is to go online and the tools for going online are only expanding. You have influencers, you have Pinterest, you have TikTok, you have all of these sources of inspiration and ideas. And yet Party City doesn't connect to those sources very well. They don't have a link to take you back on how to buy them. And then if you also look at Going into a store, the reasons for people to go into a store, it's typically because they either want an experience, but but at the base of that experience, they want to verify the quality of the product. They want to touch it. They want to see it. They want to gain inspiration from it. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're gaining inspiration from what you see online, and you really don't care so much about are your paper napkins and paper plates of top quality, <laughs> you know, are the balloons. Right. You're... You're happy with what you get online because this is a short-term purchase. You're going to have the party and you're going to throw the products away. So having access to that digital online business is really, it should be one of the biggest parts of their business and with their fingers into every social media channel. But they're, uh, as Brandon said, a lot, playing catch-up on that and a long way from where they need to be. And one yeah. more point at the end is it's simply the stagnation is, is really become the death of brands, especially for me social media perspective and just the lack of awareness or lack of brand equity is, uh, has accelerated the downfall of party Sydney. And, uh, you can't un- underestimate the power of, of influencers and, and especially with TikTok and, and Instagram and others, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. with, with the younger generations, there's simply yeah. not a brand that comes to mind when you need a yeah. party, party items. Yeah, that's a good point. And it would be so cool if they were working with, um, you know, party planning companies or partnering with wedding planners, wedding planning companies. And in terms of influencers, there are so many creators out there that are already engaging large audiences on TikTok. And I just, I feel like 
you know, they could be working with influencers who are planning a themed party for, you know, their child even, like going back to the Super Mario um, example, like if they were doing a whole Super Mario themed birthday party and they were decorating it with Party City products and um, showed how they arranged everything, how they set up everything and are like, you know, and I purchase these products from Party City. And here's how you can replicate this same setup for your, you know, Super Mario obsessed child or your Frozen or unicorns or whatever it is, or maybe it's a Mardi Gras party. I just feel like it's an absolute no brainer. And, you know, parties are in the business of fun. And it just I don't understand why they're not doing this already. Absolutely. And and that brings up another essential tool for them to start developing, which is uh, an online marketplace. They are the perfect company to be driving a party-centric marketplace. They, and they, they do, if you go on their website, I had to look really hard for it. Um, and I would challenge anybody to find it on the website. They do have their own little marketplace link allegedly for party planners, DJs, things like that to post and, and to start to build those those connections on behalf of their customers. But it's way down. The only place I found it was in a site map at the bottom of the page. Oh, wow. So, um, and, and I really couldn't assess how robust that, that network, that ecosystem was. I also know that they are selling on Amazon which if you're trying to build your own brand is probably not not the, the best direction. So it, it's this kind of schizophrenic, like we're going to sell on Amazon, we're going to uh, wholesale, we're going to uh, have a marketplace, we're going to be part of other marketplaces, we're going to do this. They, they need to figure out their brand and, and really hunker down and invest in it. And I think that that building their own marketplace, because there is white space in the industry for that, would be an incredibly powerful tool for them. Yeah, and great points, Deanna, about the marketplace. I think to add to that commentary is the fact that we've seen uh, with clients who work with that uh, MarTech and AdTech in particular, uh, having that presence, online presence is critical for developing new revenue streams to help mitigate the losses you are experiencing within the stores, the comp decreases and the, pro and the gross margin challenges, that by leveraging your digital platform, P Party City could ultimately have new revenue streams come in that, that could really help improve their businesses by highlighting the brands and building greater collaborative partnerships with the brands they, they work with that are in the stores and both online and selling advertising space and marketing space to them. I love that. That is a great idea and a great point. Uh, personalization too would, would add to that. So, so being able to personalize their products, they have that capability and they should be really singing that from the rooftops because they're the, the premier, the primary manufacturer of all of these products. So personalization should be something they do better than any of their competitors. But again, if you go online, you have to go two or three levels of pages to find their personalization offerings. Uh, I mean, you can get a big giant head of yourself printed out, you can <laughs> balloons printed, you can get full-size cutouts of, of the party honoree. And that, and that speaks to a, a significant challenge you're facing is their, their site is not intuitive. It's not user-friendly. And, and by not highlighting the personalization features, 
uh, and and what's the purpose of the brand? Uh, they're really leaving a significant amount of money on the team and losing all that business. Yeah, that's mind-boggling to me that you know they're not heavily promoting these you know services and elements of the brand that actually differentiates itself from you know Amazon from. Target from Walmart, from, you know, Dollar Tree, where you can get the same exact products for cheaper. And, you know, we talked about marketplaces. We talked about personalization a little bit, but I wanted to know, are there any other strategic changes or initiatives that you would then prescribe for Party City? I think the reimagination or repurposing what, what Party City represents to the modern digital first, socially conscious consumer that is purpose-driven. And right now, there's just a ton of ambiguity and, and friction and and they're just an overall bad experience every time you either go online to Party City or you go to the stores. So I think um, considering their significant debt, their experience in their current state of bankruptcy and just their overall challenge to turn the business around, there has to be a, a significant restructuring of, of the brand, uh, potentially closing a, a significant amount of stores to have a smaller store footprint physically, but also highlighting and enhancing the online experience to be more personalized, to be more job optimized for the customer experience, to connect to social media channels and also influencers via TikTok, Instagram, and others. But just modifying the whole operating model uh, in 2023 and beyond to uh, shift what the brand means and the purpose is because they're, they're facing not only the competitors from competition from target Walmart and others who now have a big presence within the party space, but also the macroeconomic challenges that everyone's experiencing now. I mentioned the one, the supply chain challenges continue to be rampant. We haven't gone, gone through that yet. Helium is also particular to their business model. There's a significant amount of economic uncertainty. You know, we're seeing the banking crisis and now that's going to erode consumer confidence. Uh, there is a labor crisis because it's a labor shortage. But also the rising cost of labor has an impact. Uh, the fourth one is inflationary pressures and rising prices. How does Party City evolve the business model to really address all that and have competitive pricing? Uh, digital, the fifth one's digital. It'll continue to accelerate more automation, more, uh, more optimization in the workforce. And, uh, I think another, the fifth one is really the consumer behaviors have shifted, uh, significantly because now. There's so much activity online and digital to inspire and for discovery, even before you go to the store. And that experience is completely lacking in today's environment at Party City. And I think lastly, uh, we mentioned earlier their wholesale business model. That that potentially should be their focus going forward uh, to highlight and to uh, drive a new profitable business model around the wholesale model versus the retail one. And if it is a retail one, it has to be a smaller store footprint overall. And perhaps his store within a store strategy, i.e. partner with a Target or Walmart to have a party city presence within the store. I, yeah, I, I agree with you, especially about the shop and shops. It seems like, you know, we, we haven't talked about Spirit Halloween, one of their biggest competitors. And it, it's important to, to put it in context. Halloween accounts for a quarter of uh, party city's total annual sales. So mm -hmm. Halloween is bigger for them than Christmas is for most other retailers. Oh, so here comes Spirit Halloween, who has a very smart real estate strategy. They go into vacant, abandoned spaces. So landlords are falling over themselves to give them good rent deal, to help them out, to bring them in. 
And so they're getting these prime locations that are sitting empty at really great rates and coming in and making, I think their earnings are, uh, the last I saw, they, they had kind of a gross earnings of a billion dollars just, and 1,400 locations across the country. So Spirit Halloween is starting to dominate that, that crucial period for Party City. So the shop and shop strategy would be brilliant for them during Halloween, especially to go into the Walmarts and the Targets with that shop and shop because Walmart and Target are not great at that. They don't, they're retailers. They, they would be happy to turn over that, that piece of, of, of uh, the business to uh, a retailer who is really good to bring that ex excitement into their stores. I, I think primarily the, the first step for Party City is they're going to have to get their debt under control. Because right now that debt level over $2 billion is almost five times their EBIT. And so they're not, they're just trying to keep up to service the debt. They don't have any money left over to pay their vendors. And that's really, a, they're, in a, they're in critical stages right now with their vendors. Their relationships are so damaged that a lot of their best suppliers even for raw materials, are starting to ask for cash up front. Very few retailers can, can afford to fund cash up front for all of their materials. It's, it's kind of a, a revolving line of credit type of business. So uh, if they don't get that under control pronto, then uh, they're, they're not going to have a chance to make it. I know part of the bankruptcy terms with the $100 million, $150 million bankruptcy loan Mm -hmm. And the courts have approved up to 75 million of that to be used to pay off creditors. So that should put them in a position where they have the ability to maybe have that wiggle room to reposition. But it's it's going to be interesting. The other thing is they have some fantastical, and Brandon, you talked about this, some inventory issues that I think they're starting to turn around because they did get a new COO in 2021 and he has a really great pedigree he comes from carters and vans so i think he has an understanding of of shipping and inventory control for a wide you know, a fast moving cpg business so one of the things that he's done is he's tried to improve their technology for real-time inventory management and to consolidate their warehouses. So in the past, they had a warehouse for the wholesale business, a warehouse for the retail stores. And if a product wasn't selling in the retail store, they don't have a way to get that out of that warehouse and potentially sell it through to the warehouse clientele. So they were ending up with a lot of extra product. So I think their COO, that's one of the things that he's focusing on already, which is going to be a huge, huge turning point for them. Uh, that, that's a great point, Deanne. I think um, the uh, the real-time inventory capabilities, I, I can't underscore the importance of it. I think Amazon has revolutionized the game where they, they have what they call available to promise inventory byproduct, and it can be sourced to any of their marketplace and their, and their, and their distribution centers and, and their stores where they can actually provide the consumer with confidence of when they can fulfill the products and when they can, what shipping windows they can come in. And if Party City is unable to have that real-time inventory availability, that visibility, how can they inspire confidence in a consumer who has so many other options, both in the digital platforms as well as in store with the major competitors in the space?
Exactly. Uh, I think another thing they need to get a handle on is shipping and delivery. So during <laughs> COVID, they started using Uber and, and shipped and DoorDash to deliver to your door, which is smart. Everybody was doing it. But now they're still continuing to offer same-day shipping on party products. And I think they've set their price threshold at $59. So anything over $59 of purchase, we get free same-day shipping. Well, that that's kind of but that's a margin killer right there. And, and, and especially when you think about the large percentage of their business that's balloons, how are you going to get 50 or more balloons into your <laughs> typical Uber driver car? Uh, no, you can't. So Party City is having to pay premium to get larger vehicles or to provide their own vehicles to get these balloons delivered in uh, same-day turnaround time, which is incredibly expensive. Yeah, all really great points, you guys. And, you know, I wanted to make a note because when we were talking about seasonal, again, DN, and I think this also drives back to the point of marketplaces, but, you know, companies like Michael's, for example, like they have a huge selection of seasonal products. Target has a huge selection of seasonal products now, but Michael's is really going hard with the seasonal items that they offer. And they also just announced earlier this month that they would be launching a marketplace. So I, I really think City, to your point, needs to step it up and act fast and explore that as well. So some of the other strategic changes and initiatives we mentioned today was smaller store footprint, highlighting and enhancing the online experience, diversifying product offerings, and working with influencers and launching a marketplace, leveraging data and analytics and personalizing its product offerings. So is the party over for Party City? That remains to be seen. But hopefully, by implementing these strategies we've discussed today, Party City, even with their helium challenge, has a better shot of staying afloat. Deanne, Brandon, thank you again for joining the show. Thank you so much. Our pleasure. Thank you so much.